the International Door Association's DoorCast. The ITA DoorCast will provide news and notes from the building and remodeling industry and tips and tidbits to help you improve your business. Now, here's your DoorCast host, IDA Executive Director, Mike Fisher. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's edition of the IDA DoorCast. This is Mike Fisher. I'm the Executive Director of IDA, and I'm really happy to be spending some time today with Joe Berger from JB Garage Doors in South Florida. We're going to talk about the importance of following manufacturers' installation instructions and what that means for door dealers. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Mike, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So Joe, I know your company having been in the Florida market back in the day, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? I know that you're a third generation door guy, for example. Why don't you fill in the rest of the blanks for our listeners today? My father, grandfather, uncle, just about everybody in our immediate family has been in the door business since uh, the early 80s. And my grandfather started us off in this industry. And, you know, 36 years later, here we are still here in South Florida. We've been producing hurricane rated doors and sales and installation down here, you know, since 1985 officially. My father is still active in the business. My grandfather and uncle have since passed on and we're just carrying on the legacy of the family, building doors and protecting family and life here in South Florida. Thanks, Joe. Your company is operating as a dealer, but also a manufacturer. Why don't you give me some more information about the manufacturing side of your business? Since 1985, we have been producing sectional, mainly sectional commercial doors. And once Hurricane Andrew impacted South Florida in 1992, we we ventured more into we ventured into more residential lines and, and other doors, rolling doors and and things like that. It's been a it's been a process because it's a fine line between manufacturing and being a manufacturer as well as an installing dealer. There was a need for it back when we started because there was no wind load. We kind of us as well as some other manufacturers, we kind of began the wind load building codes per se together and it was all new to everybody. The state the local officials, the manufacturers, the installers, you know, we had to counteract the, the hurricanes that were hitting our areas and, and affecting our, our neighbors. So we all had to develop new products together. Uh, I remember other manufacturers in our wind chamber that we designed on our, in our factory that, that I'm sitting at right now, that we worked together to develop what was the, the first building code, South Florida building code that most people probably don't even remember anymore. And since it became Miami-Dade County or Miami-Dade building code, and now today we also have a combination of Miami-Dade as well as Florida building code. I actually recall the what we used to call the old Dade County code. So I've seen this evolution in product and there have been a lot of changes with that. And remember, we're going to be talking about manufacturer's instructions. So as the codes changed, the door solutions also changed. Very important for the installing dealers to make sure they're keeping up with the engineering to make sure they're actually installing the product properly. But that's not all that you guys produce, right? Don't you have a hardware line as well? Yeah, with my experience in the business, um, I developed a patented hardware. I call it Stealth Hardware. QuietMyDoor.com is the is the is the website, but it'll make a residential door go up and down just about as quiet as you can get a door to go up and down. 
and you're selling that to other dealers around the around the U.S. Yes, um, I have Service Spring is the national distributor, uh, as well as a couple manufacturers. They they sell the product as well. So you're not just a door dealer; you're also as a manufacturer. And as a manufacturer, you actually do appreciate the need to read and follow manufacturers' installation instructions. I do have a great appreciation for instructions. Uh, one, because I have to read over them for <laughs> multiple reasons. And two, any door that is produced by me or any other manufacturer is only as good as the install. Being here in one location in a factory, I can't control what happens at a homeowner or business's location. So the best way for me to control or to guide the installer is through the instructions as well as the window drawings that are very important. Thanks, Joe. I know you've heard this saying, if all else fails, follow the instructions. And while that may be true in some industries, I don't think it really does apply at all to the door business, does it? It's That's a tough one. <laughs> you have to, uh, there's so many variations, even within our product line. It's I find it difficult for the, inst- the installers themselves to keep up with multiple manufacturers, multiple product lines, multiple applications. It's, I don't have the brain to remember everything. So I have to read the instructions just to refresh myself. Even on my own products, sometimes I want to double check because there's so much overlap between a sectional, a rolling door, a a wood jam, a, a concrete jam, a steel jam. There's many variations, screw types, thicknesses. It could get very confusing. The instruction question really falls in a couple of areas. It's manufacturer's instructions for a specific product. It could also be, in the case of wind-loaded doors, it could also be a shop drawing of showing the actual door attachments and those reinforcements. It could also be language buried in a reference standard. We'll talk about garage door openers in a little bit. And there are some provisions for those products that are in UL325. Then, of course, we have the building codes where there is information in there as well. So it's really important to make sure you're looking at all of these aspects to to truly be able to do a compliant installation. But as I mentioned the code, let's circle on that for a second. Let's, Let's talk about the building code and specifically building permit activity. Now, I happen to know that things are a little different in Florida and probably even more so in South Florida. What does your company on the dealer side have to deal with from an installation standpoint with the requirements for building permits in South Florida? The only time you would not be required to pull a permit is in a repair slash replacement. And I don't mean a complete door replacement. I mean a, a section, you know, a piece of track, you know, some type of what qualifies as a repair. Other than a repair we're required to pull permits on everything from a residential door to a major commercial door to fire doors, anything in between. It's really up to the the jurisdiction, whoever has the authority of jurisdiction in that area. But I would say 99.9% of the time we're pulling permits or the GC that we're working on behalf of is pulling the permits required. What most door dealers don't realize is that same permit requirement exists in the international codes across the entire U.S. For replacement doors, obviously new construction is governed by the building permit that's pulled by the builder. 
but almost every part of the U.S. has that same requirement for a building permit when you replace a garage door. There are some exemptions from that permit requirement, some things like certain decks and sheds that are smaller, but those are the exceptions rather than the rule. And even in the cases where permits are not required, the code still mandates compliance to the code provisions. So wind load provisions exist across the entire U.S., so does the permit requirement. They are not enforced as rigorously as they are in your market in South Florida. So what is your experience with having a building department or a building inspector taking a look at your work as part of that process of, of getting the permit and then having a, a, a inspector on the job site? Do you see that as a good thing, a bad thing? Well, I do see it as a good thing. As a manufacturer, having an, another set of eyes verifying that an install is done properly, especially with a wind-loaded door, it could be the difference between the door failing or the door performing as, as tested. And during a hurricane, everybody wants their door to perform as tested. And they just the peace of mind of having a proper door, it's, it's almost priceless to, to know that you and your family and your property and your home and everything is going to be safe during a hurricane. We, we get so many hurricanes down in this area, it almost becomes like a second nature where I know that people get very nervous during hurricanes and rightfully so when you see we had Dorian, what, almost two and a half, three years ago, 185 miles an hour spinning off the coast for three days. It, I know it made me nervous. As far as a dealer goes, it's another level of protection against, you know, false claims by the homeowner, improper installation, warranty issues, things that could arise in the future. You had another trained official go out there and verify the install was done properly. There's no issues at the time. It's helped me with, with credit card back charges. I had a person call American Express and tell them that there was a problem with the door. Once I sent them a copy of the approved permit from the building official, I apparently it's very difficult to win against American Express as far as disputes go, but they, they sided with us right away. You mentioned Hurricane Andrew earlier, and one of the things that came out of that from FEMA was the connection between a garage door being damaged and breaching the opening during a hurricane event that allows the building to pressurize, and then that resulted in failure of roof systems and the entire, entire structure and the entire home essentially is destroyed by the wind force. So I think your point about the importance of compliance to the code following the installation instructions and as you said, having another set of eyes is, is a helpful, uh, helpful part of the process. It's not always building inspectors, though, that are out there looking. What about other types of inspectors or inspections? Do you deal with home inspectors or, or others that are interested in that, uh, taking a look at your garage door installations? Absolutely. A big part of the real estate market in South Florida, and I would assume Florida in general, is homeowners insurance we're required to have wind storm protection, which is not a cheap option in, in insurance. And they have inspectors that'll come out and they do the normal four point inspection that I believe is probably generalized around the country, but you have a wind mitigation inspection. They're looking at the, the windows, the roof, the structure itself, as well as the garage door and front doors. 
And as you had said earlier with Andrew, we learned a lot about failures in homes. And one of the top failures were garage doors. And that's why you've seen so much change in the code enforcement and development as far as wind loaded garage doors have gone for the past 25 years or however long it's been since Andrew. The home inspectors are protecting the insurance companies. The insurance companies are driving a lot of these codes where they're pushing to have people, require people to have more protection to mitigate their losses. You know, the stronger the house, the stronger the the hurricane protection, the less likely the damage will have during a hurricane. So those inspectors have really driven, and it could be the difference if your homeowner's insurance is an extra two or $3,000 a year, you know, that, that additional money on your payment overall could mean the difference of you purchasing a home or not. So everybody gets these inspections. And uh, I've seen these inspectors, they're driving the replacement market almost for us, for us local dealers, they're pushing these homeowners to, to replace these doors. They're calling up out of need, not necessarily of want. On the instruction front, one of the other pieces of information that's available is the labeling on the door sections typically that specifies the design pressure. Obviously, it's important to make sure that when you're purchasing a door, that you're buying the right door. So door selection is an important piece of this. How do your customers navigate through the door selection uh, to make sure they have the right door for the wind speed in their area? And what kind of uh, issues do you see in there on that front? So one of the first things we do in sales is verify what the design pressure minimum requirements are for the particular homeowner's area. And this can vary not only from city to city, county to county, but even from one home to the from one neighbor to, to the next. Um, there are a few factors that determine what the, what the design pressure requirements would be. We start with location, how close to the ocean are you? How tall the, how tall the house is? What the size of the garage door is? I think DASMA has four or five TDSs on what, how to determine what requirements are where, and it, it could get very confusing, but for the most part, down here in South Florida, we have a minimum of a category five, 175 mile an hour rating, which doesn't make things much easier because we don't test doors based off of mile per hour. We do, we do it based off of design pressure. And there is no direct calculator that says 175 equals this design pressure. So there's, there's different factors, but you try to verify what the minimum requirement is first, and then we go into different designs. You know, most people, they see designs, they see Pinterest and Google and this and that. And we're, we're not able to get a lot of these doors in our area because they don't meet the minimum hurricane or design pressure impact requirements. There are, there's some factors in there that, that don't allow us to have some of the other doors that, that are available in all over the other, all over the country. You've been dealing with wind load labeling requirements for a long time in South Florida, outside of the state of Florida, where most of the codes are developed through the International Code Council, the ICC codes, the 2021 codes, which are out and are being adopted now and enforced in some areas, include a new provision for garage door labels, specifically on wind loads. 
that include a reference to the drawing number, the actual test drawing number. So there's an important connection there. Interestingly enough, those window provisions are in effect in the entire US. And now with this additional labeling requirement, all the doors are gonna be required to have their design pressure on them. Even if you're in the middle of the country where there's very little enforcement of those requirements, it's going to be getting a lot more attention now because that label now is, is required to be on the, on the section. So I think we will see more inspectors looking for the label, if nothing else. But back to the inspectors, we were talking about insurance inspectors and home inspectors and, of course, building departments. When they come out to inspect a door installation from JV Garage Door, what are the five or six items they're looking at when they actually do take a look at your installed product? In my experience, there are a few things that, that really stick out for the inspectors. The, the first would be the method of attachment to whatever jam material you have, whether it's wood, steel, or concrete, and you have poured block, you have columns, you know, you have different PSIs, there's, there's a lot of variations. Verifying that the proper fasteners used at, in the proper application, the spacing is done properly, edge distance you know, edge distance and embedment are, are very important as well, especially with wind-loaded doors. In, in my experience in the testing, a small variation in a screw or a hole location could mean a large difference in how the door performs during a hurricane. Second, we look obviously for fasteners, make sure that the proper fasteners for the hinges, brackets, everything is in the not only the right location, but the proper fasteners used as well. And in our area, push nuts or lock washers, a, a device that goes on the shaft of the roller that prevents the door from, from deflecting past a certain position. Any door that goes into any hurricane testing, it's not going to be a brick wall. It's going to flex it's going to move, it's going to deflect inches, you know, several inches back and forth. And the door moves on those roller shafts and those lock washers. Very simple, easy idea and, and process will actually make a very, very big difference in the performance of a door when you lock it in place and create a, what's called maximum deflection and bring the door into tension where the rollers and the track get the load rather than the panels. And those are very important things with the inspector that if those aren't done properly with the right materials will definitely affect the performance of the door. So on the how does it work front, a garage door receives wind pressure from the storm onto the sections. So it transfers it through the sections into the hinges and then the rollers. And then from the rollers into the track and then from the track into the jams and eventually to the structure. And then of course, down to the concrete into the earth. That's, that's kind of like the chain of wind resistance. So it sounds like what you're describing is that every part of that chain has to perform. Otherwise the chain is only as, as strong as its weakest link. So if you, if you leave off a fastener or you have the wrong location on a track bracket or a whole long list of potential errors, then that the entire product is not going to perform as it was tested. Absolutely. I've learned a lot over the, the many years of being in the testing chamber. The location of certain components will make or break 
what you're trying to design and going back to instructions and following those instructions, you know, they're not suggestions. We test the door a specific way. And if the door is not installed in that specific way, it will not perform the same. Even a, a, a difference of two inches on the strut location will make a significant difference to the point where the door will either pass or fail. We try as manufacturers, at least me as a manufacturer, I try to see what the limitations are. I don't just test the door and get the minimum requirement I need. I test them to failure. So I could see how, how, what, what it actually will do. What is the point of failure? And then obviously we don't design it to the point of failure. We have a safety factor involved that with the testing as well as our design. But during that process, placement of certain components really made a difference. Well, in that load path, the last thing when you leave the door assembly goes to the jam attachment. In South Florida, where you're pulling a permit, how is the question of what that substrate is and you know, what are the wood buck conditions and those things? We're specifically talking about residential for the most part here. But what, uh, what do you have to deal with on that front? So typically the, the toughest application in a residence is mounting into a wood substrate structure, not a wood jam. The actual house is built out of some type of wood structure. Without verifying the plans, it's, it's uh, I don't, I didn't build the house. I have no idea. Did they use, did they stack two by eights? Did they stack two by fours? Did they put one and sheet rock over it? It's very tough to verify what you're mounting to when it comes to poured block and concrete columns. And it's much, it's much simpler to identify those and do that properly. But it does become difficult to, to the point where you sometimes need engineers or a GC to open the wall up, verify if we can't get a set of plans. They built the houses where the jams aren't sufficient, where if I put in the proper door, I could potentially rip that jam apart and do damage to the home. Or at that point, it's better just to have the garage door blow in than the front of the house. I have photographs I took when Hurricane Opal went through the panhandle of Florida the garage door on the floor in the garage with the rollers and the track vertical sections and the wood bucks all together laying on the floor in the garage because everything just pulled off of the wall. So the door didn't fail. The track didn't fail. The hardware and rollers didn't fail. It was simply that attachment of the wood buck to the frame. So all the work that we do in testing and all of that detail and the attention that's paid to it is all for naught if the bucks aren't properly installed. So that, that's another scenario. I understand that in South Florida, a lot of times on replacement doors, don't you actually have to give those, those engineer jam attachment details as part of the building permit? Yes, that, that information's located within the wind load drawings. Every manufacturer has methods of attachment within those, their, whether they're their FBC drawings or the Miami-Dade drawings. The only caveat to that, to those instructions is it's based off of certain structures. So you, it's important to verify what structure you're attaching to so you do it properly. And sometimes it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. And, and uh, on, the, on some of the older homes, since Hurricane Andrew and the code changes, you know, it's made 
replacement a lot easier in homes built after I would say 1995. It took a couple years for the code to be enforced. You know, enforcement issues always take a little time to catch up from code. And since then, you have very little wood structures. You have more concrete. Almost everything's all poured concrete or block wall. So it makes it much easier. But, you know, we have some older homes that that we can't put doors on. It's it's not, it's just, it wouldn't meet the minimum requirements. You basically have to rebuild the front structure of the home in order for it to properly work with the install of a hurricane rated door. In our discussion here about following manufacturer's instructions, we've obviously been focusing on wind load provisions, but there are a lot more performance requirements within our door industry that require adherence to those instructions. So let's switch gears for a minute and talk about fire door installation and annual tests. How important are the manufacturer's installation and inspection instructions? Well, similar to wind load, uh, a fire door is only as good as the install. If you install the fire door improperly and it doesn't drop properly or doesn't drop at all or drops too fast during an event where you need that door, um, there's, there's a lot there's a lot more potential for issue. I always tell people, hurricanes, we have warning. We have days to prepare. We don't have that kind of time to prepare for a fire. Fires happen quickly and they spread quickly. Whether it be, they call it a, a safe area, a safe haven area where it's rated for 45 minutes or an hour that'll allow you to allow the fire department to come and get you. Or if it's if it's going over a window or a countertop, whatever the application may be, if you ever need a fire door, you want that thing to work properly because it could, it, it's, we're talking life and death situations here. I've seen where uh, at car dealerships, they have, you know, the, the cashier's counter where they have a fire door because they're working, they're half in the shop, half outside the shop and the computer's in the way, the pencil holder, the the stapler, all these items are just even educating the, the customer not to put anything obstructing the door. That that alone, just as a as a certified fire door technician, it drives me crazy when I go and I see these applications. I, I saw one application in the building department where they have a fire door in front of every window for the building department officials where you go pull permits. And every one of those doors were obstructed by something. And this is in the city itself. I, I, I just think that they weren't educated enough to where they didn't, they, they didn't even know what the function of the door was when I asked the, the permit clerk. So education and proper inspections is, is key. I've put in hundreds of fire doors. I, I do not do hundreds of fire door drop tests a year, which has always made me question, how do I install so many doors, but I don't do very many drop tests. That's a really good point, Joe. The good news is IDA is working on that arithmetic. You should be inspecting every rolling steel fire door you've ever installed every year, unless it's been removed and taken to the dump. The good news is we have a code proposal that we sent in through the ICC process. In the 2024 International Fire Code, there will be new language that says rolling steel fire doors have to be inspected and tested annually in accordance with the applicable provisions of NFPA 80. We also included language that says that those tests and inspections have to be performed 
by a trained rolling steel fire door systems technician. So it's got to be somebody with specific background in inspections and testings of rolling steel fire doors to perform that test. We'll use this language to help increase enforcement, but also to help educate the fire marshals and fire code officials on exactly who should be qualified to perform these tests. So you don't have the guy that does the fire extinguisher inspections also signing off on a rolling steel door who may not have any knowledge whatsoever of how those work. Another thing that I've heard is that what happens is you will have building personnel, maybe it's a janitor or a maintenance guy who says, I can test this, so let me drop it. And they detach the fusible link and then the door drops. And then, oops, we don't know how to reset it. Does that happen to you from time to time? So I'm not 100% sure who initiated the drop of the door, but I do get calls to reset doors where a fire alarm has not gone off. So assuming that uh, that is the scenario, uh, that, that could be the likely scenario. Typically, the customer doesn't like to divulge who dropped the door. But, um, but yeah, the older doors especially are, are you know, they, you, you have to know what you're doing to reset them. I know that some of the newer doors you can reset them much easier than previously, but it's definitely uh, that's definitely, in my opinion, a, a great a great direction for for the NFPA eighty to go, where you have the real trained technicians doing those drop tests. The twenty twenty four IFC, where you have to do those drop tests annually, because even if you have knowledge and you can drop the door and reset it what if you have to adjust the tension you know what if the fusible link is damaged what if somebody painted over something that there are plenty of factors that that go in that somebody who doesn't have the proper training and certifications they just simply won't know now you're making me feel that i have to bring uh a couple extra guys to the IDA show in Vegas to get some certifications if we're going to be getting a bombardment here of uh, drop door requests from our local customers. Another issue could be a track that was hit by a forklift and damaged and the door may drop, but it gets to the bottom couple of feet and it doesn't drop all the way. Simple things like that require an annual inspection. It's not just about the fire mechanism. It's also about just the basic operation of the door. To your point about having to add personnel, I hope that's the case because IDA wants to be a responsible advocate. And one of the things that, that we believe should happen is that these doors should be inspected and tested annually. The manufacturers have those requirements for a reason. The fire codes have those requirements for a reason. NFPA 80 includes those provisions. They're important. In order to maintain the life safety of our buildings, we really need to follow these rules. So IDA's co-proposal, which has gone through the process now, hopefully will help educate those fire marshals and fire code officials on this, on this uh, issue. And hopefully you'll see the need for more inspections in the future. That means that the work that we're putting into this will pay off. But at the end of the day, that inspection has got to be done per the manufacturer's instructions. And that's the reason we're talking today is it's really important. Otherwise, the fire door will not do what it needs to do when it needs to be done. Absolutely. And I know that most fire door manufacturers offer specialized training in their brands to kind of complement the generalized training of the IDEA certification as well. Thanks for that reminder. You're absolutely correct. It's my hope that what will happen as a result of this is we will see door technicians who become the trained rolling steel fire door systems technician. That's the language in NFPA 80. And that's now the language in the fire code. 
is my hope that those individuals will have specific information for every product they work on, every manufacturer product they work on, but also the broader information that's necessary. Hopefully that'll all come together well. So fire doors, uh, installation instructions, and obviously the inspection uh, and drop testing instructions are important as well. What about garage door openers? Garage door openers have their own safety requirements and instructions on properly installing safety sensors, force adjustments to make sure you have safety sensors, but they're installed properly in the proper location. Um, I, I'm sure that just about anybody listening to this has seen the home homeowner or big box store special where they slap the eyes and they mount them to the, the drops for the, for the motor in the back. And you see the two eyes on the top. They never actually run the eyes because the door won't work without it. You know, eye placement is critical for, for life and safety of, you know, I have two children under, I have a three and a half year old and a one-year-old. You, you have dogs, animals, whatever, whatever they may be. If the door's coming down and the, the sensors are in the wrong position or up above the motor and the force adjustment's not done properly, there, there's an issue. There, there's a potential uh, life and safety issue. Definitely reading the instructions, putting the right amount of force on the motor, making sure the door is properly tensioned, making sure the height of the eyes is in the right spot. All of these things are, uh, are essential. Even the pull cord, you know, you have to have the emergency release. If the cord is too short and you have somebody trying to climb up to grab it, it's not proper where you can get it easily from the floor. Those all pose potential safety issues. I said earlier that if all else fails, follow the instructions. It was kind of a, a catchphrase. And I know our industry is pretty heavily weighted towards the male persuasion. And like it or not, those of us who fit that category have been characterized as being reluctant to follow instructions, even so far as we don't want to read maps. Although I think most of us have readily signed on to using our smartphones to, uh, to do instructions, maybe because it's cool. And of course, it's a lot easier. But that paradigm of not wanting to read the instructions is uh, something we have to we have to learn to overcome, don't we? Mike, I'm guilty of it too, in some instances. Yeah, so but, maybe uh, we need a support group or, or something for that. But YouTube, uh, we all YouTube our instructions now. We all learn off of uh, other tradesmen, I guess. That's good news and bad news. The good news is we are looking at instructions using a different medium. But the bad news is it might not be the right instructions and it might not be the instructions that the manufacturer uh, actually created. So everybody knows we all have our own shortcuts and sometimes those are appropriate. But if we really wanna have a solid risk management strategy that results in safer installations that will do what they're supposed to do. If there's a fire, the door is gonna do what it's supposed to do and it's gonna protect the building so that fire can't pass from one area into another. It's gonna retain the integrity of that firewall. The garage door opener isn't going to injure a cat or a child, as you mentioned. And if there's a high wind event, the garage door is not gonna be damaged by that wind, resulting in pressurization of that garage and potentially a, the complete destruction of, of the home. So. These aren't the only performance requirements that are affected by the installation instructions. Basic operation and reliance and dependability of the door is also important. Just the everyday operation. Garage doors are one of the most highly used 
most commonly used, most frequently used devices in a house. So many of us today, the way we live, are using our garage doors our way in and out of the house all the time. We're, we're coming in with our vehicle and we're leaving that way. Our front doors never get used. So I think that what we see here is that the garage door installation instructions, the garage door opener installation instructions are critical. They're important for the homeowner, they're important for the door dealer, and obviously for the manufacturer. So hopefully we'll have more converts to following the instructions. What other issues do you see on this? Anything else that we should add before we close? You know, just just be safe. It doesn't take much time to verify certain details that could be critical in an installation. And as a result of improper installation, the, the risk reward is, is just too great not to make sure that everything's not done properly. You know, I'm speaking mainly from, from Winload's perspective, but I think it applies everywhere. I don't think anybody in our industry wants uh, any one of our fellow doormen or women or a homeowner or an end user to get injured as a result of something that we could have prevented. There's always going to be an accident and a freak situation, but what we do as professionals to prevent that is most important. And I know that I, my, one of my biggest fears in business is having somebody have an injury where it compromises their quality of life whether it's one of my employees or one of my customers. And I don't think any of us wish that upon anyone. You know, we're, we're out here doing a job and being professionals and trying to, to help not hurt anybody. And that's what my, me and my family, we've always tried to do is, is help our, our fellow community and dealers and just anybody we can with, with education and good products and good service. Joe, you raise a really good point there. We've been, We've been really focusing on the installed product and how the building occupants and homeowners, how their safety is paramount. But you're right. We should not forget our technicians. It's very important that they understand, read, and follow the instructions for things like torsion spring installation. And in fact, another one is how do you properly use a ladder so that I'm not going to be injured as a result of, of trying to do too much, too high, and in the wrong manner. So we have we do have safety instructions and provisions that apply to the product installation and just simple job site safety as well. So while we're talking about reading instructions, I think we should not forget that the technicians are part of that discussion as well. And their safety does matter, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this has been interesting. We really started out talking about installation instructions and the need to follow those rules, but, but we really have kind of dovetailed into a lot of different areas here. This has been a pretty pretty broad discussion in terms of getting into some of these uh, rabbit holes, which kind of tells me that you and I should be getting together for another door cast another time. Maybe we can get into another discussion just about wind load provisions and how they are changing around the country. But, but for now, I think we really hopefully have done a good job of reinforcing the message that instructions are important for the manufacturer, the dealer, and of course, end users. And let's not forget, as we just said, the technician. So I wanna thank you again for taking time today to come on the DoorCast. I know you're a busy guy and you have a lot going on and IDA appreciates your, uh, your efforts and your support of, of our educational venue here to try, to try to improve the safety record as well as the quality of the installed product for our end users. So Joe, thanks so much for, for coming on board today. Mike, it's my pleasure. Uh, this is the only job I've ever had is in the door industry. So for me to be able to give back and try to educate and help out. It's my pleasure. 
Thanks again, Joe. I hope you have continued success. Give my best to your family members. And thanks again. Thank you. And this is Mike Fisher, Executive Director of IDA, signing off from the Winding Bar Cafe. Thanks for joining our DoorCast, and we'll see you soon. To our listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoyed today's IDA DoorCast, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the IDA DoorCast. Be sure to catch our next episode. For more information about IDA, visit doors.org. See you next time.